This is episode 28 of One Page at a Time, focusing on focus, helping kids read independently with Kristen Barrett. In this episode, we talk about how important the ability to focus is when it comes to independent reading, some factors that can affect a child's ability to focus, and some ways to strengthen their abilities to focus. Also, just a reminder that this is an interview that we recorded before COVID-19 interrupted all of our lives. So if we talk about the world the way it was before everything shut down, now you know why. This is Jill in Virginia. And Amanda in Dubai. We are here to help you read more often. Read at home. Read at school. Read with your kids. Read with your spouse. Read aloud. Read faster. Just read. We dig through the data, gather the anecdotes, and chat with the experts who can tell you why and how you should make books a bigger part of your life. We're on this journey along with you, bringing people and reading together, one page at a time. The introduction for our guest today was one of the hardest I have tried to write yet. Not because I do not have anything to say, but the exact opposite. As she is one of my five sisters, I am having a hard time narrowing down exactly what I should share with you all about this week's guest. She's the sister right above me in the lineup, so I've spent my life looking up to her, other than maybe a few of our teenage years. In the years since those teenage years, however, she's been busy earning multiple degrees in elementary education and youth and family recreation, and has spent equal parts of her career in teaching as well as with nonprofit youth mentoring organizations. She's one of the most avid readers in our family of very enthusiastic readers and is currently working her way through all the Newbery Medal winning books. I'm so happy that she was up for joining us today and I'm very excited to welcome my sister, Kristen Barrett. Thank you. So when we air this episode, much of the world is going to be gearing up for their kids' summer breaks. And we're hoping to give parents an arsenal of ideas to help them not only survive having their kids home for the summer, but enjoy it. For so many of us, we would love for at least parts of our kids' days to be spent reading, but figuring out how to make that work in the real world is sometimes pretty hard. I know for myself and many people I talk to, one struggle we have is getting our kids to read independently. My kids love being read too. And we definitely do that every day, but I do not have the time or the vocal strength to read out loud all day, all summer long. So at some point, they're going to have to learn to read themselves, right? So in some of our discussion before this interview, Kristen, you brought up some things that contribute to kids' inability to focus. And it should have been obvious to me, but I had honestly not thought about the connections before you said it. So could you share some of that with us, how the lack of focus affects kids' reading habits? Sure. You know, when I first started thinking about this, I kind of honed in on two, I think, major things that can affect a kid's ability to focus, not just in reading, but just in life in general. One of those is um, definitely a buzzword that we hear a lot, but that is too much screen time. Um, And as I really have been thinking about, I mean, it, it sounds obvious, yes, too much screen time, you know, affects kids in a lot of ways. Yes, it'll affect their focus. But I really started thinking about and looking and reading into why that is. And one thing I think, you know, is as kids are on the screen, they have so many like flashing pages and lights and options. And, you know, even as I'm working from home today, I have like 12 internet browsers open and I'm going back and forth between all of them. And it's not teaching anybody, kids or adults, how to focus on one thing because there are so many things in front of them and our brains are trying to focus on too many things and when we've got that screen in front. So I think that's for kids especially, is definitely something that contributes to their lack of focus. And the second thing is, is something that I have spent a lot of time reading and kind of going to different workshops and trying to learn more about, and that is childhood trauma, which is kind of a broad way to describe anything that happens to a child that negative affects them, you know, throughout their childhood and lots of cool research, not cool, 
because of the topic, but just uh, interesting research that talks about what happens to a child's brain when they do experience trauma. And when you look into that, I mean, it's no wonder they can't focus because there are so many other things going on in their brain that they don't realize, the adults around them don't realize, but that are preventing them from even concentrating for a few minutes on one thing. That And that's something I've heard from other sources as well. I've, I've worked with teenagers through church for a long time, for quite a few years now. And a lot of the teenagers that we worked with had similar problems. And so I would, I've been trying to kind of look into that as well. And I would despair a little bit because I felt like it was this huge thing that was happening to them and I was so unprepared to help them. And so with your kind of professional experience interacting with children, both in the classroom as well as outside of classroom situation, have you found that there are ways to increase children's ability to focus on something such as reading to themselves? Yeah, there are. And this is where I would definitely call this cool research. There's a lot of people that have put a lot of time into thinking about how to maybe not completely help kids completely overcome effects from trauma or even, you know, the the what happens to our brains with too much screen time, but things that can definitely help and improve their abilities to think clearly and focus. Some of the more simple ones, one is meditation. So teaching kids how to calm their minds. And that is also sometimes called mindfulness. And there's some really cool techniques that you can teach kids that are really geared towards different age levels on how to, you know, close their eyes and take deep breaths and, you know, just learn how to calm their mind so that when they are in a situation where they are feeling too overstimulated or they're feeling overwhelmed or, you know, something happens that upsets them, they have these techniques that they've learned that can help calm their minds down. So kind of connecting that one with reading, I was thinking, you know, if you're having trouble getting a kid to focus on reading, what if you do a few minutes of meditation or, or mindfulness practices before you ask them to do their independent reading time, help them calm their mind and get in a place where they can actually focus. Another one, obvious, if we're going back to the, you know, too much screen time is harmful to a kid's inability to focus, well, let's eliminate the screen time or, or lessen their screen time. And that can, over time, it, it might take a little bit of time to change their mindset and kind of get their brain back into a place where they can focus. But the more adults put those limits on the kids because kids aren't going to know or understand to do that themselves. Adults can be intentional about that. Uh, another one that I really like is spending more time in nature. And there, there's also some good research about how even just a few minutes in nature every day can help a kid learn how to calm their mind and kind of slow things down so that then they can focus on other things during the rest of their lives. And then just kind of two practical tips, I guess, that I think are also helpful. The first one is, so if we're talking about teaching a child the the skill of being able to focus and read independently as just the same thing with any skill. I mean, practice makes perfect. So you can't throw a kid in and expect if he doesn't have the skill already, you can't expect them to learn it automatically. And so I think starting with just a few minutes, kind of talking about we're going to set a timer and we're going to do it for three minutes and you're going to read by yourself for that three minutes this week. And then next week, we're going to increase the time and we're going to practice a little bit more and, you know, help them learn that skill. And then just the last one as far as techniques to help them focus specifically on reading independently is finding books about topics that they're interested in. So kids are experiencing a lot of things in the world and hearing about a lot of things. And I think that they kind of clue in on social issues in their own way and um, you know things going on at school. So if adults are intentional about helping them find books that connect to things that they're already experiencing or wondering about, then that may also help them to be able to focus if it's a topic that they can really get into and then have conversations about. So then they're excited to read more about it and really kind of take take it on themselves to to focus and concentrate on the book. I love all of those so much. And I 
have to say, I especially love the one about meditating and that mindfulness. And I had never thought about that. I don't have terribly overactive kids, so it hasn't been too much of a problem. But summers when they're home all day, every day is definitely more of a problem. And so having that preparing for a reading time rather than just going from, you know, running around screaming, doing whatever to, okay, here you go, book, be quiet is going to be difficult. It would be difficult for me, let alone a six-year-old. And so even for a kid who hasn't really had too much trauma in their life, I hope, I guess I can't say for sure, who knows what's going on in their heads. But from my perspective, my kids haven't had too much trauma. But just to have that transition time to make it very intentional that we're going into this quieter, calmer part of the day, it would be easier for them than the abrupt change. There's some schools, it's kind of a growing movement in schools that are making this like an integrated part of the school day, especially schools, you know, in areas or where they have kids who come from kind of just more chaotic or harder back backgrounds where they're making it the beginning of the day, we know we come in and we do our meditation so that we can get ready for learning. Or even after school programs, they come in, they've had a crazy day at school. And so these after school programs have time built in for the kids to kind of center them, ground themselves, do their meditation and their mindfulness, and then they can move on to their other activities. That is so awesome. I love that so much. With the screen times, I feel like that's more of a tangible thing that we can control as parents if, if that's what we want to do. But with the effects of trauma, if they're, if it's our own kids or, or other kids that we're interacting with that are going through that, that one feels a little bit more difficult to deal with. And so with your experience, I'm just curious if you've seen these techniques kind of make a difference in the kids' lives that you've worked with. So there's kind of a kind of a big five, I guess, as far as techniques or things to integrate into a child's life that can help them overcome the effects of trauma. You know, some of them are things we've already talked about. So the med- meditation and mindfulness is definitely a big one as far as, you know, really for anybody, child or adult, to help them heal their brains from effects of trauma. Another one is focusing on their physical health, making sure that they are going to a doctor regularly and they have their physical health things taken care of because it's really hard to take care of your heart and your your emotions when you've got tummy aches or when you've got sore throats or when you've got asthma. So making sure to get them the physical health care that they need. And then along with that is, of course, mental health, providing any counseling or therapy needs that they have. It's a, a situation where they need medication for mental health purposes, making sure that they get that. And then just really putting the child at the center and making sure that adults around that child are giving them all of the resources that they need physically and mentally to be able to heal. Exercise and nutrition are huge. And there's also some cool work being done in schools teaching about eating and how eating healthy foods really can affect your emotions and your brain and your ability to focus and learn and read and also exercise helping, you know, helping kids in a age appropriate way learn the, you know, amazing effects of endorphins and what happens when we move our bodies and when we stay healthy physically and how that can affect our brain. And then the last one, which I think is one that is close to me just because I've worked for some youth mentoring organizations is making sure that a child has healthy relationships. So there's, you know, kids experience a wide variety of trauma and they come from a wide variety of family situations and living situations. But I think adults in that child's life, if, you know, if they don't have a situation where they can have those healthy relationships at home or with friends or whatever, just making sure that we put at least one good, strong, stable, healthy relationship in that child's life that does huge things for helping them overcome the effects of trauma and helping their brains heal and helping them be able to learn how to be stable and safe and trust other people and be successful later on in life. 
And with that one, there's also some kids who have experienced trauma. There's a branch of therapy. It's called parent-child psychotherapy where they teach that, you know, they bring the child in, they bring the parent in, and they teach that parent how to have a healthy relationship with that child. So they're kind of learning and growing and healing together because I think any of you who are parents know that when your child experiences trauma, that's obviously very traumatic for the parent as well. So teaching both parents or the adult in that child's life and the child how to build that healthy relationship with their main caregiver is also huge in overcoming that effect of of the trauma. That is also wonderful. And it makes me feel like there is something that we can do and, and not quite so hopeless when it comes to cases where we feel like there's nothing left to do. There is more to do and there is more that can make a difference and, and improve their life. And and it kind of, it's a sort of tangent, but not really because anything that's affecting kids in, in those types of ways is going to affect their ability to read, affect their ability to focus and probably affect their desire to read too when it comes to their choice of what they're going to do with their free time. Yep, agreed. So I'm going to turn for a minute to your other side of your career. So you've kind of been talking about things that you've learned through your through your mentoring and, and working with the mentoring organizations. But some of my favorite interviews we've done are with teachers. And so I'm going to kind of turn to your teaching experience. You've had a little bit different experience than other teachers we've talked to. You taught elementary school PE and then kind of different class in high school than sort of the norm, right? Correct. Yeah, it was a specific class for the Latino population and refugee population where we were, it was kind of a school success curriculum. So kind of teaching them how to be successful in school and then what options they had after high school. So with that experience and and those kind of unique classes that you got to teach, were you able to use books and reading in your classes when you taught? I did. Yeah. um, in In the high school setting. And I had to be careful. Obviously, high school students have reading classes and they I mean, those teachers are amazing and wonderful and are really encouraging the students to, you know, build their skills and, and read books and all that. So I had to be careful in my classes not to, you know, it would it would be my preference to to use reading in all of my lessons because I love it and it brings me joy. And I think that there's a lot of, I mean, it's applicable to any topic or subject, but I didn't want my students to think that my class was just another reading classes where they were being forced to read books that they didn't want to. You know, the two years that I was teaching, I did just at the end of the year, both years, kind of one unit for the last month where I picked a book um, and had us read it together as a class. And then we did a lot of projects and just kind of talking about it. And the book that I did with them was Maniac McGee, which turned out to, to kind of open the doors for some really powerful conversations. I mean, because of the the demographics of the classes I was teaching, we had a lot of conversations about race and about what that means to be different than other people and, you know, how we respond to people of different races. And the book really kind of opened up a lot of those conversations and got the students to kind of think about things from a different perspective, I think, and also be able to vocalize things that they were experiencing themselves at our school, kind of in a safe environment. I love what you said about Uh, wishing you could use books in every part of your class because there are books that are applicable to just any subject and any experience. And that's kind of one of the things that we want to get across doing our podcast is just showing people all the different ways and all the different kinds of books that are out there and all the different ways and facets of life that you can use them in. And so we definitely... We definitely agree with you there. And that also with, sorry, one other thing with reading the that book with high school students, if we're thinking about going back to the helping them, you know, read independently. So most of my students were English language learners, which is a whole nother barrier to being able to read 
independently or having the desire to read independently. Very few of them liked to read in English because they didn't speak the language and it was hard for them. So what I did with Maniac McGee is I started reading the book out loud to them to get them kind of hooked on the story. And then I had them read more of it independently. And I found that that worked really well because I really, I hooked them and I did that intentionally. So I, you know, started reading and then we did some projects talking about the theme of the book. And then I assigned some independent reading and I found that there was a lot less complaining about reading independently when I, when I started that way. That's really good to know. And good tips too. And good to think if it's not working one way, maybe try a different approach and see if that goes better. Amanda, do you have any thoughts um, while we kind of have a pause? Let me unmute my microphone because boy, howdy do I ever. Kristen, this is awesome. (laughs) And when you said Maniac McGee, that took me back to a time of my life that I actually remember reading that book and the knots and the running and the, oh yeah. It's like it's such a, it's it's a good a one. Yeah, it's a it's a really good one. So I do have a couple of questions. My first one, this kind of goes back to the the earlier part of the conversation. But what are your thoughts about audiobooks for kids who are struggling to stay focused? Are audiobooks a good way to kind of bridge them into being able to read on their own? Is it good if they're, you know, listening and maybe doing something with their hands or is that, you know, reinforcing a negative behavior? What do you think about this multitasking while listening and audio books? I think it definitely depends on the kid. So if you have a kid who really, really is struggling to focus while reading, reading becomes a chore for them. They, they don't like it. It's work for them. They push it. They fight it. Um, and so if you have, you know, that kid who's just really struggling with the focus, you can use the audiobooks to to hook them into the stories and to help them understand that they can, you know, make a connection to books and get excited about hearing or listening to the story, then I think that's awesome. That's fantastic. Do that with that kid. And if they need to do something with their hands while they're listening, because that helps them focus, that is awesome as well. And I think that, you know, if you, you're doing that for a couple of years with this kid who's really struggling to focus, if you can just instill in them this books are good and they make me, you know, happy and they are things that, you know, are interesting to me, then hopefully later on as they build these skills, you know, these focusing skills as they get older, then that will kind of transfer into now let's try an actual book. And we've been maybe listening to the series and we're really excited about it. We've been listening to the audiobooks. Now let's try reading, you know, the actual book for book four and see as they get older if they can kind of make the transfer between, you know, listening to books that they love and then reading books that they love. I love that when you kind of lay it out like that, it does make sense as kind of a bridge between not reading at all to then them being interested in their own books, then hopefully perpetuating that. That's really great. So I have a three-year-old who is not reading yet, and I'm wondering about her as a reader. And then I also have a 16-month-old. He's 16 months when we're recording this. So I'm wondering, what are your thoughts about the kids that are too young to be reading on their own? How old, I guess, could we hope that our kids would be able to sit down and focus on a book? And do they do they need to be reading on their own? Or can we help them get interested in pictures enough for them to, you know, read on their own? Or sorry, this is a lot of questions rolled into one, but are there certain kinds of books, like the books that don't don't have words in it that would work for this age group. I'm just trying to imagine, you know, how do you encourage your kids to start reading on their own if they can't actually read? 
read the words, yeah. I'm thinking of, you know, parents that I've watched do different things with kids that age, the really, really little ones. Um, and I think putting a book in a kid's hand, you know, if it's a board book with interesting pictures, just any, uh, starting at any age, if you start putting a book in a kid's hand and helping them know what books are, will help build that skill of knowing that this is a book, this is what I do with it, and this is something that I enjoy. And so, so that that can kind of stay with them again as they get older. So I think even, you know, I've watched my sister's in the car with their like one-year-olds you know we're driving in the car the kids bored the kids complaining so they hand a book back they hand them back the board books or one of the fun picture books and the kid sits there and plays with it and puts it in their mouth but is also opening it up and looking at the picture so that is just teaching them even from that really young age that this book that I'm holding in my hand is something that is interesting and something that I want to have and something that will just bring me joy so I think you start that you know any age that the kid can start holding the book that's pretty young that's great. <laughs> well, those are my questions. And they were excellent questions. I'm so glad you thought of them. So we have talked about a lot of stuff today and it is so good and so helpful, but I can see a lot of people wanting to kind of dig deeper into these subjects, um, especially if they have children that, that these things apply to. So Kristen, do you have any sources or, or something that people can go to if they would like to learn more about any of this? Yeah, a lot of what I've learned about uh, kind of the childhood trauma and overcoming effects of that helping kids overcome effects of that started when I read the book. It's called The Deepest Well by Nadine Burke Harris, which was amazing and totally changed my perspective on just childhood experiences in general on what adults can do. And it's very hopeful and it's just an amazing book. So I definitely highly recommend that one. Paul Tuff is another author that has written a couple books um, that have really good hands-on techniques for adults to use to help kids learn how to focus, especially when they're having a hard time focusing because of life experiences or even just environmental things. So yeah, Paul Tuff is another one. And then I just found this one. I haven't, I just read about this book online, so I haven't read the book yet, but I read some reviews on it. It's called, kind of going back to the teaching kids these mindfulness and meditation techniques. There's a book called Peaceful Piggy, which has some really good reviews from what I read online. Looks really like a fun way to help kids learn how to, to do those mindfulness and meditation techniques. I was hoping you would say one about the meditation ones because yeah. that's one that I want to try with my kids, but I wouldn't know where to start yeah. on my own. So I will definitely check that out. Peaceful Piggy by Carrie Lee McLean. Peaceful Piggy, here we come. All right, so before we wrap up, I'm going to sneak one more question in. Because we get some of our best book recommendations from the people that we interview, and other than one time where you recommended a book about two sisters who get separated during World War II, which was wonderful but so sad, I completely trust the books you suggest to me. So can you share a few of your favorite books that families can try out this summer while they get into their summer reading? Yeah, uh, I think summer reading is a great time to do kind of the old school ones. So I, on the list I compiled, I put Blue Willow. That's one that my mom read to us one summer when we were growing up. Esperanza Rising is another one that kind of has a story that can grab you and um, I think is, is an easy one if you're thinking about trying to focus on a story. And then again, we talked about this at the beginning, but I am going through all of the old Newberry Honor Award books starting. I mean, it starts way back. Um, so I am currently still in kind of the old from the 80s and 90s books, um, which are fantastic. I just finished Island of the Blue Dolphins. Again, I read that one again when I was a kid. Nostalgic great story one. I love that. And I've been rereading a lot of the books that we read as kids lately too. And it just, I have good memories and feelings attached to them. And so it kind of brings those back. And so for parents to read books that they love with their kids, this summer could be a great time for them to connect and bring those good feelings in as well. So those are fabulous recommendations as I knew they would be. 
All right. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for coming and spending some time with us and sharing all of this wonderful knowledge and information and experience with us. I know it's going to be very helpful to a lot of people. Thank you for having me. I'm really glad we got to talk with Kristen. She has really helped me to get my brain in gear for trying to get my kids to read independently. We had originally planned to air this episode in May as part of our prep for summer, which is why we talk about it in the interview. However, helping identify why your child isn't focusing on reading and addressing those points, I feel really applies to any time of the year, any time of your child's life. (laughs) We are learning how important daily reading is from our podcast guests and everything that we are reading. And I did want to remind everyone of one of the first interviews we published with Lauren Tarshish from Scholastic. We mainly talked about the decline by nine phenomena of kids losing interest in reading when they are eight years old. And this was cited in the most recent Scholastic Kids and Family Reading Report. This report is also consistent in finding that children lose a lot of ground over the summer with such a long break from school starting the next year off at a disadvantage. So the way to prevent this and even help your kids get ahead is to have them read every day over the summer. So depending on your situation, especially right now, this could sound really intimidating, but hopefully this interview has given you a starting point if your child has a difficult time focusing and that's what's making it intimidating for you to read every day. Definitely. And we both can very much stand in solidarity with you by being overwhelmed by this idea of getting your kids to read independently every day and just where do you start? And so while I thought that everything that Kristen shared with us was really helpful, I feel like the most universal and useful gem has got to be the reminder that the ability to focus is like any other skill. If we have a child who's struggling with it, it is never going to get any better without practice and probably a whole lot of patience on their part and our part. So Kristen made it very clear that so many other things can affect children's focus, and I didn't really think of it that way, so I'm so glad that she brought that up too. And for these bigger problems, it's going to require more than just a little bit of repetition to help them be able to do it. But for many of us who don't know of any other external factors in our kids' lives that could lead to that lack of focus, I think it's just going to be us trying consistently to help them learn how to focus and learn how to read independently. And as a mom, I definitely give up too soon and expect too much from my kids when I try something new with them. And that isn't helpful for any of us. No, I do the same. I feel like it's most likely more common than not (laughs) to do this, to fail in the consistency area of things as a parent. And I keep trying all the numbers about establishing habits, you know, that it takes nine times of consistency or 20 something days or whatever, like you're sleep training your child. But when I have that mentality, it's not at all likely to be a fun thing for us. And you've recently told me how your family's gotten to where you're at reading independently, slow and steady and incremental. And our family does much better when we aim for nothing more than just make reading fun every day. And whatever that looks like, if that's a three minute thing, or sometimes we've gotten up to 30 minutes and, nice. you know, we've got, yeah, we've got kids five, three and one and a half. So it is possible, but I haven't ever had like a five day streak of 30 minutes. One day might be, we get one book in and then the next day might be, you know, this 
epic marathon utopia of reading. Oh, I want to live in a utopia of reading. That just sounds delightful. Doesn't it? Doesn't it? That does sound really nice. Okay, so having said this, Kristen did mention, like you just said, that there are many possible reasons your child may not be able to focus on reading at the level that is expected at their current age development stage. And if you're truly consistent, which is where I would fall through the cracks, but if you are truly consistent at trying or you're suspicious that there may be something deeper going on that's causing your child's lack of focus, you may want to consider seeking professional evaluation and help. And I'm especially glad that she talks about trauma since that is an area that may not immediately come to mind the same way that developmental milestones and health spectrums like attention disorders or autism may. It is so true. And I had never really thought about it until I came to a situation where I was I was trying to help some teenagers who had gone through very traumatic things in their childhood. And since Kristen's my sister, I have had the pleasure of talking to her quite a bit about a lot of this, which in large part is kind of what led us to doing this interview with her. So I used her expertise a lot when I was working with these teenagers at church for a few years. And I felt very much out of my comfort zone. Um, I wanted to help them in a way that would actually be helpful. And since I don't have that background training or really experience working with kids or teenagers, especially ones who've been through trauma, I really relied on the help of actual professionals such as my sister. Um, Not only does she have the experience and the training, she also had a whole cache of books and resources that helped as well, such as the ones she shared with us at the end of the episode, which are fantastic. So the same advice that she gives us in the interview really helped me not lose hope that my efforts could make a difference in their lives. It also helped me keep my expectations realistic. If there is trauma in the background of your children or the children that you work with, I think that hope is especially important because in my experience, it's fair. It's a fairly all-encompassing thing for the kids and their families. And you can see the effects of it in so many different parts of their lives. And it can be so easy to lose hope. And how discouraging if you are at that point, anyone or any of your loved ones are at that point. So, and I just have a thought that I'm going to throw in there that we're talking about children and you just mentioned teenagers, but this could also be very applicable for college age kids, you know, the young adult age, And it could apply to you as well as an adult. It could apply to anyone that trauma can be causing all sorts of havoc and an inability to focus can also be resolved at any age using some of the methods that that Kristen mentions in this. So I feel like while we may have a tendency, you, Jill, and me, Amanda, may have the tendency to think about young kids with pretty much everything, because that's the age that our children are. Uh, I think that we really can broaden this out and even look at spouses, at anyone in our lives that may not enjoy reading and their the signs might be different. It could stem back to something about an inability to focus and, you know, what's, what's the cause of that. So... I think that it's an all age applicable thing. I definitely agree. But I also feel lots of feelings here. I also feel like we can't ignore the elephant in this conversation. It's true. Yeah. Yes. It's screen time. And if you're in a similar place as our family after lockdowns and COVID-19 distance learning, your kids have been living and breathing screens so that everyone in the family survives to live and breathe another day for another day of screens. (laughs) And there was a lot of advice, recommendations 
from all different sources to allow yourself this flexibility, which in my opinion is fantastic advice. And we are the absolute last people to judge anyone for screen time usage. Definitely. Yeah. (laughs) Whenever you and your family are ready to move away from the video games or TV and toward books, go for it. And my kids have shown in the past that they are pretty resilient at bouncing back if I'm really straightforward, front load the situation, tell them exactly what to expect. Moving away from screens is really daunting for me. (laughs) And sometimes when I can tell we're getting too much, I could go cold turkey myself, hide the remote so everyone is screen free. And we should probably do an entire episode on moving your family from screens to books, but probably (laughs) it'll, it'll probably come. It'll come. But I actually got some great tips and advice from Andrea Davis at Better Screen Time. I reached out to her recently on her Instagram account and we had a great chat. She sent me a couple articles on their site. I can wholeheartedly recommend looking at betterscreentime.com if you have any questions about technology use in your home, any age, stage of life. It's great, especially for preteens and teens. It's just a really great resource. So for that elephant of screen time, (laughs) may the force be with you. I'm glad you pointed the elephant out, Amanda. He needed to be mentioned. He really did. And We know that it was kind of a huge, broad topic that we tried to cover today in a pretty short amount of time, but hopefully something in here sparked an idea to help you in your journey to get kids to read independently, or at least gave you an avenue to explore that you maybe hadn't thought of before. We're glad to have you back with us. We're glad to be back with you. Our break was definitely a much needed one for us and our families as we navigated some unexpected and difficult changes in our lives. But we're full of energy and ideas for our podcast and really, really, really happy to be back. So if you are happy that we're back, please help us out by sharing this episode or any episode that you've loved with your friends or family. We have plenty more in store for you in the coming weeks, so we'll talk to you soon.